Do not put your 401k in crypto. <laughs> but Do how not about put wanting? your 401k in crypto. <laughs> <sighs> Hey, everybody, I'm Connor Rosdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. In addition to some other comments, it is Friday today, the 22nd day of September. It is indeed. And welcome, everyone. I am Kimberly Adams. We are so happy that you are joining us here on our YouTube live stream, which we like to call Economics on Tap. And that's what we do every Friday. It's our happy hour episode because Lord knows we need it every week. Um, Yeah, that's what I got. We absolutely do. So uh, we're going to do what we usually do on a Friday. Uh, those of you at home uh, can repeat along with me. We're going to do some news. We're going to take a little break. Uh, we'll do a round of half full, half empty. But first, uh, we will get into uh, what people are drinking. Kimberly Adams, what is in your glass today? Uh, it is an earth, wind, and fire uh, old-fashioned. <laughs> because uh, yes. when Ellen asked me what the drink was this week, it was Thursday, which, as we all know, is Earth, Wind, and Fire Day. And so I looked for an earth, earth Wind, and Fire-themed cocktail, and I found a recipe for an Earth, Wind, and Fire old-fashioned, which had an ingredient that I had to get overnighted to me, sorghum syrup. Wow. Who knew? Sorghum syrup? So first of all, yes. who knew you could get sorghum syrup overnighted overnight? Uh, I mean, overnighted. Uh, but what? Uh, uh, but what is sorghum syrup? Is that anything like it's, like molasses or? It's similar to molasses, but not. But it is also sweet and like dark in color. And I'm trying to look at um, the recipe from Cocktail Contessa is where I found it. And what is sorghum? While many people have heard of sorghum and have enjoyed it on biscuits in the South, not everyone knows it's a tall grass of African origin that grows well in climates cooler than those found in the Caribbean. The tall canes can be pressed and juice, and the juice is cooked down into a sweet, thick, viscous, earthy syrup. Wow. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorghum. hold it up. Hold it up and let me see it. So what does it look like? Your, your drink? Oh, all right. No okay. Fashion. And how does it taste? I haven't tried it yet. All right. Well, here we go. Oh, it's good. I was worried it was going to be too sweet, but it's not. It actually works. It does kind of good. lend the earthiness to it. Um, this interest. This was an interesting recipe because it called for me to smoke the glass before I put the drink in to be the fire oh. component, which thankfully I had my little smoker. I did. I smoked the glass first. And mm. yeah. And I don't know what the wind part is. There, wind. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's um, everybody else drinking? <laughs> I, I am, well, so Ellen is probably really annoyed with me because I got that email yesterday. I got the Slack and I just didn't know. And then I forgot about the Slack and I didn't tell her. Also, <laughs> I, I, I feel really boring because my answer is always beer and yours is, I'm going to have a, you know, Guadalupe citrus, you know, whatever, umpty frets freaking <laughs> thing. Um, anyway, Gotta Big Yikes from Modern Times Brewery down in San Diego, double IPA. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Because I don't have to do anything this afternoon. Uh, so that's what I'm having. What's, uh, that's what I'm having. Yeah, I should mention, I, meant, I made mine uh, non-alcoholic with my non-alcoholic whiskey because I have ah. to be up extra early tomorrow. Uh, so I'm being, what are you I'm doing? being good. What uh, are you doing? I, I'm, I'm going on C-SPAN. Really? Yes, yes. I'm going on C-SPAN to uh, fill in on a Washington Journal. Yeah, oh, um, okay. In, insert nerd joke here. 
Okay. <laughs> Come right. on. Who wouldn't want to be on C-SPAN in the lead up to a government shutdown? Come on, man. On a, on a Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. Oh, my goodness. It does not get any better than that. Uh, <laughs> look, whatever. I whatever. am who I am, and I yeah. love my, my nerdiness. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Oh well, Wilson. we love should probably. Washington Journal. Oh, sorry. Anyway, I, there's a lot of Washington <laughs> Journal love. Which I, I, okay. Have you ever okay. seen it, Kai? Do you know what it is? Yes, I've seen it. Because you have to flip through <laughs> that to get uh, the other channels where there's actual good content on. No, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm Ouch. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm Ouch. Also, 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 well, no, come on. Kimberly, come on. <laughs> but also, Noel King, uh, our mutual former colleague and your friend, sent out a, a tweet of uh, a couple of weeks ago of you interviewing her about Vox Today Explained. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes. I saw that, too. See, that was good content. That's true. Okay, Jin <laughs> Peck. Jin Peck says this, and then we will move on. We're all watching an economic podcast on a Friday night. Nerds <laughs> assemble. So there you go. There <laughs> this you go. is true. Very true. All right. Well, then I'm going to go first with my news because my yes. news is very Washington, very um, not so <laughs> insidery, but it just tells you that corruption knows no party. <laughs> um, in Obviously, many people have heard that today Senator Bob Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey, and his wife were indicted on charges of bribery. And I just want to read from the Hill here. Federal prosecutors announced the charges Friday and said in a search of the senator's home, they found $100,000 in gold bars and $480,000 in hidden cash. According to the indictment, Menendez and his wife agreed to accept hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes in exchange to protect three New Jersey businessmen and as well as people in the government of Egypt and it's just a mess but wow I mean and much of the $480,000 in cash was quote much of it stuffed into envelopes and hidden in clothing closets and a safe envelopes of cash inside jackets in home oh my gosh it just goes on and on how uh, all also <laughs> wait sorry also it, the cash was hidden inside his congressional hispanic caucus jacket like inside his Senate oh, jacket. On, You're like, dude. come on, Senator, give me a break. Also, apparently he Googled the phrase, how much is one kilo of gold worth? Which, by the way, is about $67,000 at today's price. Come on, man. <sighs> so the Senate Historical Office says Menendez appears to be the first sitting senator in history to have been indicted on two unrelated criminal allegations. So we now, at the moment, have our first former president who's been indicted and our first sitting senator to be indicted. What a time to be alive. And then that brings me to my next one, which is yet another amazing scoop by ProPublica about the Supreme Court, yeah. where Clarence Thomas apparently participated in Coke ne Network donor events. So not just like hanging out, but actually going to the fundraisers. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. Now, of course, um, the Koch group says that he was not involved in any of the fundraising activities, but he was at these private retreats at least twice. <sighs> and as I was thinking about these two stories today, it really kind of thought, made me think about the important 
divisions we have uh, in in the democracy as as it's supposed to function. Um, the role of the press incredibly important uh, in mm -hmm. revealing the stuff about Clarence Thomas and, and other Supreme Court issues. Um, the role of the Department of Justice in actually going after people who have committed crimes regardless of political affiliation or allegedly committed crimes regardless of affiliation and hopefully landing where on, on the side of justice. And, I, you know, one would love to believe that someone would see the Menendez indictment and say, look, and also the Hunter Biden uh, stuff as well, and say, look, mm -hmm. they go after everybody. If anybody breaks the law, they go after them. But no, that's not what's gonna happen. But I was, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe this will make at least some people see that it's not always a witch hunt. Look, so, so this is a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a moment for the mm -hmm. Democratic caucus in Congress uh, mm -hmm. and Democratic leadership everywhere to really set themselves apart from the GOP. Um, mm -hmm. Because by and large, Republicans in leadership and Republicans in Congress and Republicans in a national level have not mm -hmm. condemned. Look, everybody's entitled to the presumption of innocence mm -hmm. and Donald Trump and all his 91 indictments. He is innocent <laughs> until proven guilty, right? Statement yes. of fact. Mm -hmm. but, right. but the Republican caucus writ large has only attached themselves to him more closely. This is an opportunity for Democrats to draw a real distinction. And I would submit that if they don't, Republicans are going to hang it around their necks and drag them way, way down come next spring and summer. I'm looking at this other article in The Hill. Here are the Democrats who have called for Menendez to resign. Governor Phil Mur Murphy, the mm -hmm, Democrat mm -hmm. from New Jersey. New Jersey Democratic Party Chair Leroy Jones. Uh, Representative Andy Kim, also a Democrat from New Jersey. Representative right. Mickey Shirell. I mean, the list goes on. House right. candidates, here's, former members, everybody. Right. Here, here's here's the, the two names. Actually, there are three, but one can't. Biden uh, cannot and should not and mm -hmm. probably won't. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Schumer as the Senate Majority Leader and also Cory Booker, the junior senator from the state of New Jersey. Cory Booker, who full disclosure is a college acquaintance of my wife's. Um, mm -hmm. Cory Booker in 2015, uh, sorry, in 2017, stood by Menendez. And it will be very interesting to see what he does this time. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We watching for it. I mean, it reminds me of when we had the conversation of what would it like who in the Republican Party needed to speak out against Trump for it to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the people that you listed was actually Mike Pence, <laughs> who has yeah. since done it and it's made no difference. But anyway, yeah, it's true. That's true. Uh, it's a very good point. Yeah. It's a very good point. Yep. Okay, I know I'm going on forever and ever, but I have we, to give you this it's, one it's, because... It's our podcast. We get to do whatever we want. Don't worry about the time. But this one is purely for you um, because as I was <laughs> researching deep well, into you. government shutdown stuff today, I came across this article from Washington Monthly from 2013 um, when there was yet another government shutdown. And the headline is... Time to brush up on the Food and Forage Act of 1861, everybody. Oh my the God. Food and History matters. Forage Act. History matters. History matters. All right, let me, let me find this. So basically, when they're talking about when there's a government shutdown, 
federal agencies are not allowed to spend money that has not yet been appropriated by Congress. Some people are forced to work um, without being paid, but you can't spend money. You can't buy new things, except with thing specific specific exemptions and the example given is the food and forage act of 1861 near the start of the civil war as the title suggests that law permitted soldiers to graze their horses and take whatever other necessities were required to live on horseback it was a law that was invoked in a decidedly non-horsey sense during the vietnam war again during operation desert shield in iraq in 1990 and for a brief time immediately following the terror attacks of september 11th 2001 in, oh, wow. in in this under this act um, basically what it allows is for federal emplo- employees to accept volunteers or go beyond their funding in cases of emergency involving the safety of human life or the protection of human property it's what allows the military and you know to keep buying food for the armed services <laughs> you know to hmm. feed our military feed and clothe our military even when there's a government shutdown so that's the at least the legal interpretation so anyway let's, history's amazing yeah history's, history's amazing. amazing that's why yeah. you study it. the the uh, food and forage act of 1861 yeah. you're welcome and, and i appreciate that you thought of me i i truly do uh, okay, so here's podcast. mine. <laughs> uh, I suppose I have to associate myself with those history, economics, um, politics. We do it all. Washington Journal on a Saturday morning at sunrise. Anywho, <laughs> um, so uh, so here's mine. We talked about this. I don't know if it was this week or last week. The idea uh, that President Biden is in something of a bind with the United Auto Workers strike in that um, he wants to be seen and declares himself to be the most pro-union president Mm -hmm. this country has ever seen. But also, he needs the big car company CEOs to come along with him in our transition to electric vehicles, and he is working really hard to make that happen with the Mm -hmm. uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act and all of those things. Well, so the president has decided and he has come down on the side of the United Auto Workers Union. The White House announced today that the president will go to Detroit on Tuesday and more specifically will walk the picket line with them. That Ooh, is huge. It is huge. huge the first time, isn't huge, it? Huge, huge. It will be the first time ever. It will get mm-hmm. ginormous amounts of press. The president will brush up his street cred with the United Auto Workers Union. But I think it comes either a day after or day before, excuse me, Donald Trump goes to Detroit and does not walk the picket lines because the United Auto Workers Union President Sean Fain has said we want nothing to do with Donald Trump. But Trump will go to Detroit and have a rally with pro-Trump union members and will um, sell it as him being pro-union in a very smart political move, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's very interesting that the two leading candidates for their party's nominations, uh, well, I guess Biden is the only candidate for his party's nomination will, uh, dive into the UAW strike, which just expanded today. They will dive into it early next week. Now I have to give a shout out, uh, despite all their broiness to the guys on pod save America, specifically Dan Pfeiffer, who they, he and, and John Favreau have a really good analysis of the kind of campaign that Donald Trump is running. He is running a much smarter, much more um, 
effective campaign this time than he did last time when it was all, you know, or 2016, when it was all, you know, bailing wire and spit holding it together with him and Corey Lewandowski and like four different people on his plane. Now, Trump is going to Detroit, the heartland of number one, America, but number two, organized labor in this country, and passing himself off as a pro-labor Republican president. And for some part of this electorate, that's going to work. And it's going to be a real I mean, challenge for the Democrats. Go ahead. Sorry. Isn't that just what Kellyanne Conway told him to do in 2016? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, it it, yeah. it's it's her strategy was brilliant. She said, we do not care about yep. winning the popular vote. We yep. care about winning the presidency. And she yep. exactly narrowed in on that demographic. Because I remember at the time yep. I did a story. I went to Granite City, Illinois, to a steel mill there and talked to the union workers there. And they were had been straight blue pro-union Democrat folks, and they were mm -hmm. all voting for Trump. And I, that yep. was one of the two things that made me really think that Trump had a chance to win. It was that and when I heard him say, and I think it was the second debate, that he promised to elect pro-life judges to the Supreme Court. And I was like, okay, so now mm -hmm. he's got all the evangelical Christians who mm -hmm. turn out to vote like bonkers. And now even the unions are saying, the union workers are saying, because they're like, yeah, even though our, our officials are saying we're going to go for Clinton, we're not, we're going to vote for Trump. And I was like, oh, this guy's got a real chance now. Right, right. And also the thing from, from Kristen Walker's uh, Meet the Press interview where he was triangulating between the six-week ban on abortion and the 15-week mm -hmm. ban on abortion and, and putting that in the mix and betting that he is now going to be able to attract some fraction of voters who are kind of okay with that while uh, knowing that the pro-life voters who want uh, a nationwide ban or something less than even a six-week ban are still going to vote for him no matter what he says. Yeah, there was an interesting article about how the pro-life uh, groups are trying to figure out what to do because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trump gave them what they wanted and now they've got it, yep. but now he's backing up backing down and they don't want to bash him because Trump right. keeps a grudge <laughs> and if he does yep. win and when he probably will become the nominee you know what are they going to do they're going to be stuck with him um exactly. very quickly back on UAW though did you see the report in Axios this morning about the leaked messages from the union leaders I I did uh, go ahead and tell people what that is I have thoughts Okay, so uh, the headline is UAW official says union creating chaos for automakers leaked messages and basically somehow, some way, a bunch of messages, private messages from the platform formerly known as Twitter, X, got leaked and it's a ton of internal communications about strategy from UAW communications director and a bunch of other folks and it is pretty bad. It, it looks really bad for them in terms bad of for the revealing, union. Yeah. Yeah. bad for the union, um, in terms of revealing what their strategy is. It's giving the automakers some arguments that they're not actually bargaining in good faith, which is something important to the NLRB mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and labor negotiations. Mm -hmm. And it also makes them look a little condescending of some of their membership. And, um, so anyway, uh, we can link it to it in the show notes. I haven't seen it too many other places. I wonder if that's like their scoop. But let me tell you, I'm awfully sus that 
under this new uh, Twitter slash X regime that the union leadership's private messages somehow, some way made it to the public. Conspiracy theory, maybe, but I am sus. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at all. I, I will say I think, number one, it was naive of union leadership and, and union communications officials to put that stuff on Twitter. Yeah, that was just a platform idiotic, they don't control. Right? Yeah. To totally idiotic, right? But number two, I am amazed truly at how successfully strategic the union has been so far. The mm -hmm. small amount of strikes that they started with at those three plants, something like 12,000 workers, which is less than 10% of total membership. And, th and then today, bam, right? 38 plants in 20 states shutting down distribution centers, not for all three of them, right? But just for mm -hmm. GM and Stellantis and setting Ford apart and thus putting the three automakers in some sense, which has never been done before, against each other, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Sean Fain is a militant son of a gun and way <laughs> in your face, but they are being so smart about this. And Ellen uh, points out in in the in our in our Slack that this news about the leaked messages was first in the D Detroit News. It's behind a paywall, but oh, yeah. anyway, they were the ones who had it first. So shout out to them for getting Good. that. Shout out um, to them. Yeah. Shout out to them yeah. for sure. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, shall we? Yeah. So yeah. So right. that is it for the news. And I know we've gone on a long time, but we are able to do that <laughs> because of you all. Because it is that time of year where we do need to turn to you all again for support because you know it's that time of year and i was supposed to bring my hoodie but i forgot it's downstairs um but it's half priced hoodie weekend this weekend so it is a rare chance to get a make me smart or marketplace hoodie when you donate eight dollars a month or i think that's ninety dollars annually don't do math no ninety dollars eight dollars a month or so Anyway, at midnight on Sunday, they go back to $16 a month. So that's why it's half price hoodie weekend. Yes. And we the last time we did this was what, like a year ago or something like yeah. that? Yeah. 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 And it's really comfy. I, I wear mine all the time. It is. It is. Uh, I am told very cozy. I do not have uh, mine in my possession anymore because I think either uh, my wife or my daughter has stolen it. But look, this is a win-win-win. Support public service journalism. Stay cozy. Get a special deal this weekend only. Give right now. Marketplace.org slash give smart. And thank you very much. And right now is where you say we're coming right back. Oh, that's me. Oh, wait. Yeah. That we're coming right line. back. I suck. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.
All right. Half full, half empty is the game. If I can read my rundown the right way, Drew Jostad <laughs> is in charge. Please, Drew, save us from ourselves. All right. This is the first year the IRS has lowered the threshold for taxing <clears throat> ticket resellers. Are you oh, half yeah. full or half empty? I saw that. So, so this was in this, the journal. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. ahead. Basically, it's a warning that if you were out there reselling your Beyonce tickets or your Taylor Swift tickets, and if the, you resold those suckers for more than $600, that's reportable income, and you better watch out. And it, I guess it's sort of in line with the whole um, Venmo cash app thing, where if mm -hmm. you sort of do more than $600 in sales, I guess, if it's labeled sales, uh, a year, you're supposed to report that income to the IRS and, and pay taxes on it. So um, I am yeah. going to be half full on people, everybody paying taxes, although I wish it was more equitable. And it's, you know, I hope the enforcement is balanced on the tax dodgers yeah. up and down the income yeah. scale. Yeah, same. Same, what Kimberly said. Totally. Yeah. Okay, are you half full or half empty on Spanglish advertising? Oh, so this is a story, story that uh, Elizabeth Trouble did for us uh, the other day, uh, keyed to a report out of Pew, but also just the changing demographics in this country and how you know advertisers are dealing with it. Um, I think, number one, uh, however people choose to and are able to communicate is important. Um, and look, advertisers are going to follow. So I'm, I'm, I'm half. I'm going to say half, half, half. I don't know. I, I feel really hesitant to weigh in on this one because it's like, I don't know. Um, half for the people who want it. Also, just like half full for the people who want it, half empty for the people who don't. I just feel, I don't know, I'm not so plugged in uh and it's not my community and so i always worry about being like this is great this is not because it's like i don't know man it, it depends so opt out mm -hmm. abstain possibly pass abstain? <laughs> i i no, i think abstention is a fine response i i have yes. no problem with that as opposed to our former uh boss nancy cassett who 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 the heck knows where she is right now but she gave me a hard time once for abstaining and i you know what it's our podcast we can do what we want Whatever we anyway. want. What's next? That's right. All right. Are you half full or half empty on the orange egg yolks? <laughs> so story. this was an interview that I did today <laughs> on the radio program about the rise of those really orangey, orangey egg yolks that um, organic companies and companies like the Happy Egg Company um, sell for, hang on, ten dollars a dozen um which you know marginally might taste a little better but look really good in the instagramization mm -hmm. of american food um i did promise in this interview that i did today with marion bowl of of eater i promised that i would go to the farmer's market this weekend and buy some of those eggs and taste them um i i, I don't know it's a little bit foodie preciousness um but at the same time you know food matters I, I don't know the thing i will remember from that story probably forever and in, in all of my days is that in order to get those bright orange egg yolks yeah, they feed yeah, the chicken yeah. marigolds and turmeric <laughs> yeah 
it's a little bit cheating, right? It's a little bit cheating. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, I 100%. will be half full on making food look more appealing and food that is in some ways healthy, um, you know, for in, in moderation, of course, um, making it more appealing and interesting. And, and like your guest said, you know, if it makes people want to cook more then great, I don't like right. eggs. I dislike eggs actively. Oh, in, that's so funny. Yeah. So like funny. I can't even handle like French toast. It's I, I cannot deal. Um, so really? I have that's no like, skin that's in like game. egg adjacent. That's not actual eggs. No, can't do it. I, I can taste the you, egginess. And, yeah. You, 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 and, you and Nancy Fargali. Far, Fargali and I had a whole conversation today before the show after she listened <laughs> to that so interview. Funny. She's like, yeah, I don't, I don't do eggs. I can't do eggs. They're gross. And I'm like, oh, all right. Gosh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Hmm. Mm-mm. There you go. There you go. All right. What's next? Ready with the poll? Yes, oh, we will be ready God, with the thank, poll. Thank God Drew is paying attention. Yes, poll. So if you have a thought and if you're on the live stream, um, get ready to weigh in on a live poll. We will figure out how to give you the results in about a minute or so. Although, mm-hmm. you know, we've been doing this poll for a year and I still haven't figured it out. So Drew's going to give us a thing. Kimberly and I will kill some time. Uh, and then and then we will give you our thoughts. Drew. Yes. Are you half full or half empty on a relaxed Senate dress code? Oh, I have such thoughts. I have such thoughts. Go wow. for it. No, I can't go for it yet. Okay. I have to wait. I can, we have to kill time. I, I suspect I know where you're going to land on this. but So somebody in the really? chat is asking me, um, <clears throat> would you, could you on an omnibus? Uh, I'm sure there will be What does that many. even mean, would you, could you on an omnibus? I'm guessing it's a half full, half empty equivalent. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. But <clears throat> I, I don't know. Like, the Senate is has been sort of sitting on its hands, working on their own stuff, and they were trying to let the House do what the House is supposed to do and originate the appropriations bills. But, but, but I think not not just not just <laughs> supposed to do by the Constitution is required to do. Yes, but they're also required to not sorry, store, sorry, store was, gold was, bars was, was, in their was, house. Was, was, so. I yell, was I yelling? Sorry. <laughs> yes. I guess I was yelling. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. So. So they they have some stuff ready to go, I think, that could be picked up by the House. And I wonder how much pressure the Senate is going to put on McCarthy to basically be like, take this, take the Democratic votes and get this done. But the second he takes those Democratic votes, he's going to. Yeah, they're going to they're going to come after him. it's really hard for me to see, like you said, in, in what did Sudeep say in the show today that there's a very narrow path to a soft landing. No, for, it was it was Sudeep actually. Sudeep yeah. Reddy in the rap today, he was like, there is a very narrow path to a soft landing, applying it to the to the Republicans in the House, which I thought was genius. Yeah, yeah. and I, you know, and to just further add to the nerdiness, I was uh, out with you know at a birthday party last night, and there were political scientists and journalists there, and. This was what we were talking about, and it's a, a hard belief. People are pretty much thinking there's going to be a shutdown, at least a short one. Oh, oh um, 100%. 100%. Do you, and you don't, you don't, I, wait, sorry. You don't actually think there's not going to be a shutdown? I um, am leaning one direction enough that I spent a good chunk of today developing a shutdown plan document for 
for what yeah. kind of stories we can yeah. do. No so that, that that's that's where I land. I spent many, many hours on this today. So yeah. that's where I land. Okay, so on this particular question, let's go ahead and close the poll uh, on the question of the relaxed Senate dress code. <sighs> I am half empty. I actually think that there should be um, a dress code in this setting, but I don't necessarily know that it needs to be the dress code that they had. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm sure there still is a dress code of some sort, but I, I just think that there needs to be, I, I like the idea of there being some formality and especially mm -hmm. in the Senate, where it's supposed to be sort of the more reserved and astute and thoughtful branch of the, of the you know, of Congress. And I don't know. I like the vibe. I completely agree. In fact, I would go farther. Uh, mm. I, th I am absolutely uh, opposed to the relaxation of the dress code. And I need to be clear here, right? So first of all, this is geared towards Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, who we've spoken about uh, before on this podcast, I think this week, we talked about the whole body double shenanigans and all that jazz, mm -hmm. and, and Senator Fetterman's challenges. Um, mm -hmm. All of which uh, I have great admiration uh, for him for having uh, fought through and overcome. That yeah. said, I believe decorum matters I believe formality in certain circumstances matters. Uh, I believe it lends itself to a more, people are going to call me naive for this, a more elevated discussion, a more restrained mm -hmm. and polite, which I understand is a funny word to use in the American political context right now, a more polite <laughs> discussion. So, so that's number one. Number two, I think it's a mistake to gear a policy toward one member out of a hundred. That's mm. just not good policy. Number three, I think this was, this was just the stupidest possible shooting yourself in the foot by Chuck Schumer, the Senate majority mm. leader, right? Well, and, and here's why I say that. Schumer has now set himself up for being torpedoed by Republicans in the Senate talking about the dress code and civility and why it matters. And we are not going to have discussions about what people are wearing. Elizabeth, uh, no, sorry, not Elizabeth. Susan Collins came out the other day and said, well, I'm going to wear a bikini on the floor of the Senate the other day. And nobody needs to have those discussions. But more to the point, Joe Manchin, hmm. a member of the Democratic caucus, is going to introduce a measure next week, a bipartisan measure, he says, to reinstate or reaffirm the formal dress code in the Senate. And I don't for the life of me understand what Chuck Schumer thought was going to happen. And Did he think this was going to be fine and everything was going to be great? I, I don't get it. And also just like, don't we have better things to do? Well, like, I, mean, I don't know, oh my God, fund yes. the federal oh my government. God, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> fund yes, yes just, a thousand percent yes. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just dumb. I just, it's just, it's, it's it's just not smart. So I'm half empty. The, oh, the it poll? totally like zoomed by. I saw it and I just didn't say anything. Okay, so half full. Sixty-two percent are half full on the relaxed Senate dress code. Thirty-seven really? percent half empty. 
166 votes. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, um... Crystal uh, Hurt in the um, chat makes a good point. A single exception is reasonable accommodations as required by the Americans with Disabilities uh, Act. Yeah, and, and Senator Fetterman has gotten all of those reasonable accommodations for the stroke that he had, right? He has been able to use uh, uh, speech-to-text translators to deal with his, his challenges that he's had uh, translating questions into his answers, right? He has mm -hmm. also, by the way, as we talked about the other day, made remarkable progress, as you can see in interviews he's done, uh, with that challenge. I totally agree, and Senator Fetterman should get every uh, accommodation he needs to deal with those challenges. I don't think that goes to being able to put on a suit and tie. Yeah, I am thinking about Senator Duckworth, you know, and yep. um, many yep. other people who have so. So wait, you have to you have to explain why why Senator Duckworth needs those accommodations. Yes, Senator Duckworth is a veteran and uh, lost her legs. I believe it was a helicopter crash. Yep, um, she was a helicopter pilot. And yeah. she was a helicopter pilot and uses a wheelchair and has accommodations and shows up to the Senate in a suit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also yeah. uh, was the first senator in a very, very, very long time, we talked about this, to have a baby mm -hmm. while in the Senate, right? Mm, yeah. And yeah. the, uh, so I mean, all four reasonable accommodations, um, but reasonable accommodations do not then need to be applied to the entire Senate. It's a reasonable accommodation for yep. that person. Yep. And in this case, um, it, I don't know, I just... I think we've spent too much Anything. time talking about this. There we go. Right. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, so okay. No, look, I think, that, I, think that, I think that was a totally good discussion. I, don't, I, I have no yeah. problem with hanging yeah. around on that one. Yeah. Hang, no problem. And I yeah. think Senator Duckworth is a really good example. So, uh, question, comment, thoughts on what Kimberly and I ought to wear on this podcast on a Friday? I don't even know. Leave us a voicemail, 508-UB-SMART. Email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. It will get to us and it will be read. I promise. Yes. Uh, and don't forget, we do have a newsletter, too, if you had been interested in my Earth, Wind & Fire old-fashioned recipe. It was in the linked in the newsletter this week. Um, that's where we share our reading recommendations from the team. We have the beer and the cocktail suggestions. And yes, we see you, Jasper. You've made your appearance. <laughs> <laughs> you can sign up at marketplace.org slash newsletters. <laughs> he just came to stare at you. That's all right. It's all good. <laughs> ah. Wow, we went long today. This might be the longest Friday ever. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Secret Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. Drew Jostad wrote the theme music for our game, Half Full, Half Empty. The team behind Half Full, Half Empty is Emily McCune and Antoinette Brock. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of Digital and On Demand. I wonder how they decide when they put that she's the executive director of digital. Oh, I don't know. When it's I don't know. Digital don't and on know. demand. Or are they just messing with us? No, I think they're just messing with us. Totally. They're just messing with us. Well, there we go. That was something. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine 
I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.